American dollar uh, into the Irish currency at that time. And then, of course, a few years later, things changed to euro. And uh, so uh, that's uh, obvious now. And then when I go to other countries like India, it's rupees, uh, the country called Myanmar, formerly called Burma, they call it chat, and all these various currencies. And of course, it's critical if you're going to interact in those economies, you have to have the right currency. <clears throat> I remember one time I was traveling through London, and I was either on my way to Dublin or uh, leaving du Dublin, I can't remember. I may have told this story sometime in the past, but uh, I... Uh, had an overnight uh, in London, uh, flying in, I think, uh, from the mainland, and then I was going to leave the next morning to Dublin. I think that's what it was. And they told us that there would be um, transportation from the airport to the hotel. And so, uh, no big deal. I had uh, euros and I had dollars. And at that time, uh, England was still British sterling. And so I did not have British sterling. But uh, in my mindset, when they say there's a bus for the hotel, uh, that meant that it's the hotel's bus, and so no big deal. Well, I was wrong about that. I got on the bus. It was not the hotel's bus. It was just a regular bus there in uh, London for uh, people from the airport to various hotels. And as we were traveling, I noticed that people were putting exact change into the little gizmo there on the bus. And I realized I don't have British Sterling, and I'm on this bus and I'm not gonna be able to pay. And I finally went to the uh, bus driver, it was a lady. I said, ma'am, uh, do you have to have exact change in British Sterling? She said, yes, of course. I said, well, I did not realize that. I don't have British Sterling on me. And she had a few choice words <laughs> uh, to uh, describe my ignorance. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I was trying to let her know, you know, if you'll, if you'll let me, uh, you know, get to an ATM, I'll go get the right currency. I made a terrible mistake, though. I told her that in America, I should have never said that, especially in London, uh, that uh, when there's a bus that takes you to uh, the hotel from uh, the airport, a shuttle, it's part of the uh, it's a part of the deal. You don't have to pay extra money. Well, that that really didn't go over. And now she's very irate with me. And I'm telling her, ma'am, if you will just stop where there's an ATM, I will go get that money and I will give it to you. And we finally came to my stop. I said, ma'am, if you can point me to an ATM, I'll get you that money. And she said, just get off the bus. <laughs> and then she pointed her finger at me <laughs> and she said, naughty, naughty, naughty. <laughs> I uh, uh, remember that well. You see, you have to have the right currency to function in a given economy. And that's true in God's economy. What I want us to see, you know, here it is. God says, come. He that hath no money and let him buy and eat. What is that talking about? I want us to see that in God's economy of grace, the currency is faith. Now, what are we talking about? What does that mean? How does this economy of grace where the currency is faith function? Well, in God's sovereign wisdom, he chose a system. An economy is a system. It's a, it's, it's, it's a uh, uh, system of managing resources. And in God's wisdom, he chose an economy, a system uh, for man in which there is a divine order. We could even call it three phases, perhaps. 
Uh, the verse Philippians 2.13 came alive to me back in 1991. I was reading Andrew Murray's book, uh, Absolute Surrender. And uh, for whatever reason, that verse was highlighted to my heart. Uh, you may know Philippians 2.13. It says, for uh, it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So and in, that, in that verse, as well as in other verses, you see three phases. It's God that works in you. That's divine initiation, both to will. There's your human responsibility to respond and then to do as God enables of his good pleasure. So what we see is that there's divine initiation where God stirs us. Then there is a human response. We could call it a faith response. And then there is a divine enabling where God works. So God stirs, faith responds, and God works. There's divine initiation, God stirs. There's that human response ability, which is called faith. And then there's this divine enabling. So let's walk through this. Divine initiation. This is what God stirred me with and shook me to the roots uh, with Philippians 2.13 back in 1991. That's a long time ago now, about 30 years. Because at that point, I just thought man could believe when he wanted to. I knew that man was responsible to believe. And I just thought that's the way it uh, was. Man can believe when he wants to. And God showed me that, no, God, God has to first stir. In other words, we won't believe. We won't want to believe unless God first convinces us. And so that was kind of a, a grid-forming uh, moment in my thinking that in salvation and in any choice in our walk with God, it's not just this arbitrary, well, I think I'll do this. We're always responding to God's workings, God's stirrings, God's initiation in our hearts and lives. What happens is God reveals his will. He stirs us with truth. In salvation, uh, in order for somebody to get saved, they have to be convinced by the convincer, the Holy Spirit, that sins the problem, that there is a judgment without Jesus, and that with Jesus, you can access or you can have his righteousness imputed to your account. So the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. When a person believes in Jesus, it's always a response to the convicting work of the Spirit. Now, it's not automatic, as we're going to see here in a moment, but it is a response. And the same is true in our Christian life. Faith is always responding to the divine stirrings of God in our hearts. When it says in our text, everyone that thirst, come to the waters, he that has no money, let him buy and eat, uh, buy wine, buy milk without money and without price. What does that mean? Uh, how do you buy with no money? What is that talking about? Well, we'll come to that in the second point. But the reality is God's naming some things there. He's talking about food. He's talking about milk. And so the reality is you and I will never buy what we don't know is available. Every so often, I like to go to a store here in the States called Menards. Uh, there's another one called Lowe's. There's another one called Home Depot. There are all these massive mega stores that have... Uh, things for fixing up your house and all that kind of stuff, and uh, tools, lumber. And I like walking through there to discover all the things that I didn't know I needed. 
uh, because, you know, if you don't know that it's something's even available, you don't know that that you might need it. And of course, sometimes you don't need it at all. But nonetheless, you understand what I'm saying. There's there's things like that. You're in the store and think, wow, look at this. I didn't know. I didn't even know this existed. And so uh, you might be tempted to buy it. And the reality is in our Christian economy, in our economy of God's grace, we won't buy, we won't cash in on that which we don't, do not know exist. And so that's why we need the, the, the divine initiation of God stirring us. God's storehouse of provision becomes apparent when the Spirit of God takes the truth of God and stirs us with it. Just like in salvation, when God stirs somebody, hey, sin's the problem. There's a judgment. You need Jesus. And when people respond to that, it's because the Holy Spirit stirred them. In the same way, God stirs us about a lot of things. Last night, we talked about 2 Chronicles 7.14. And a tremendous promise regarding revival. I gave many different accounts where people were stirred and they responded in faith by seeking God, humbling themselves and crying out. We talked about that uh, uh, prayer meeting uh, uh, with Finney and then later with this church in Colorado where they prayed three times a day. Well, all of that was a response to divine stirring. And if God stirred in our hearts last night to begin to seek the Lord, whether it's praying three times a day or meeting with somebody once a week or whatever the case may be, that's God letting us know, hey, I want to do this for you. See, the thrilling part is whenever God stirs us about a truth, he's telling us, this is my will. If you will trust me, this will happen. And so that's what's so powerful. When you're in church and your pastor is preaching and the spirit of God takes a truth in the Bible, maybe you've read it a hundred times, but all of a sudden it comes alive to you. That's God telling you, hey, here's the provision. This is on the shelf of God's grace. You need to cash in on this. You need to come and get this. You see, when God stirs us, he's letting us know this is my will for you. Now, often the Spirit of God stirs us through written words uh, right here in our Bible. Sometimes it's just the Spirit of God stirring us, which is still the Word of God. It's not the written Word of God. It's not part of the canon, but it's still God speaking to us. I remember in my dad's final year on earth, 1997, uh, he was helping a church in uh, Nova Scotia for about uh, three uh, months. And as in fact, some of you may know Robbie Milburn. Uh, that was when my dad first got to know Brother Robbie. And Robbie's dad was in the hospital and was told by the doctors that he would soon pass away, uh, that he was not doing well. And I forget what illness he had, uh, but... Uh, they told him it's just a matter of days and, uh, and that's, that's about all you have. Well, my dad was there acting, acting as just the interim pastor for those three months. Uh, my dad had already uh, gone itinerant. He had pastored himself for 45 years. These were in the last five years. This was just the last year uh, that he ministered on earth. And uh, so here's this man and he's told he's going to die. And so my dad went to the hospital to just pay him a pastoral visit. Uh, he didn't have any other intention than just going and praying with the man and seeking to be of comfort. The man did know the Lord. Well, while my dad was there, the Spirit of God, how do you explain this, stirred my dad to pray for healing. Now, my dad didn't go for a healing meeting, <laughs> uh, but he knew the voice of the Spirit of God, bearing witness with his spirit 
And God's saying, look, if you'll trust me, I'll heal this man. And so my dad prayed in faith, what we might call the prayer of faith from James 5, for God to heal the man. My dad was so stirred by the Spirit of God. My dad was not a uh, sensational man. He was not the kind to overstate something by any means uh, and exaggerate. He was a very cautious and careful man. Uh, but uh, he knew God had stirred him. He prayed and he looked at the man and said, you will get well. You will walk out of this hospital. <laughs> and uh, then he went downstairs. And as he was leaving the hospital, Robbie, the son, was coming in. And my dad said, I just, I just told your dad that he's going to get well and walk out. He said, we better pray. <laughs> uh, there shows the human uh, vacillation that sometimes we can have. But the fact is, God did, did heal that man, and he lived another 15 years. So that's what I'm referring to. That's kind of a, an extreme example. But even just in the daily aspects of life, there are times when God stirs us to trust him about something. Maybe you have a financial need. Uh, maybe there's a, a, some big thing at work, and, and uh, uh, you've got to come through, and, and uh, you feel your insufficiency, and God's stirring you. Hey, why don't you trust me? And when God stirs you, he, he is telling you, this is my will for you. If you will trust me, I will bring this to pass. So the first phase is divine initiation. When God stirs us to trust him, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the spirit of God is the one who convinces. And so when he convinces us, of the truth of God, whether through some verse or through some aspect of God's character where God is just stirring us to trust him, then we know, okay, we can go by. We can come. We can respond. And that brings us to the human response here. I call it the human response ability. It is faith. Hebrews 12, 2 puts it this way, Looking unto Jesus, the author, there's divine initiation, and finisher, there's divine enablement of our faith. So sandwiched between God's stirring work and God's bringing it to pass work is our faith, the author and finisher of our faith. So in response to God stirring us, God authoring faith by convincing us, hey, you can trust me for this, now we must respond. Thus, faith is always a response. It is God which worketh in you, divine initiation, both to will. See, there's your faith response. So let's talk about this because faith is depending on God. It's God dependence based on his word. It's taking God at his word. It's trusting God. There's various ways of saying this. But let me just walk through five clarifications so we have a right understanding of this human response that we're calling a faith response. First of all, Faith is always a response, but never automatic. In various grids of theology, people get uh, extreme, go in one direction or another. The reality is faith is always a response to God's initiating work, but it is never automatic. We can resist or we can respond in faith, but it is a response when we use the phrase God dependence to describe faith, that in and of itself shows faith is a response. It's God response, God dependence. It's responding to God. And thus there is this God 
dependence. So again, faith, it comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it's always a response to the truth of God. And it is uh, really just a, a trust in whatever the spirit of God has convinced you of that you can trust God for that. So it's always a response, but it's never automatic. Not only that, faith is not a work. It is dependence upon the worker. Romans 4, 5 says, but to him that worketh not, in other words, he doesn't depend on his own self-effort, but to him that worketh not, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. That verse and many others tell us that faith is not a work. Now, this is often misunderstood. It's been misunderstood for centuries. Uh, it's misunderstood today by some, where there are individuals uh, who somehow come to the conclusion that faith, because it's a human responsibility, they think it is a human work. In fact, at the time of the Reformation, um, the reformers, Martin Luther, uh, followed by others, uh, John Calvin and various ones, they rightly understood that salvation was by grace through faith, that you get justified uh, by grace through faith. They wrongly thought faith was a human work. Now, they're wrong about that because Romans 4, 5 says, but to him that worketh not, but believes. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. <laughs> it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so uh, faith is not a work, but these men thought it was. Now, I don't blame them. The dark ages were dark. And when the uh, light began to shine on the horizon at the beginning of the Reformation, uh, they didn't see everything all at once. They did see that, that justification is by grace through faith, but they wrongly thought faith was a work. And that led to some uh, erroneous theology. Faith is not a work. Now, you notice in our text, this enigma that says, he who has no money, let him come and buy and eat. See, that's picturing the reality that faith is not a work. <laughs> it's a currency, but it's not money as we think of it. It's not something you earned. It's not meritorious. It's not monetary, but it is the currency. So that's what I want us to see. In this economy of grace, the currency is faith, and faith is not a work. It's just responding to God's stirrings in our hearts that we need to trust him about a given matter. So uh, it's a response, but never automatic. It's not a work. It's dependence upon the worker. Thirdly, Faith is not man-centered, but rather God-centered. I have had individuals in the theological battles that we sometimes find ourselves in say, well, if you emphasize faith, then that's man-centered. And that lets me know that they misunderstand the core concept of faith itself, because it is absolutely impossible for God dependence to be man-centered. It's an impossibility. See, faith is God-centered. It has to be because it's 
God dependence. It's responding to God. It's trusting God. So it is impossible for God dependence to be man-centered. So faith is always a response, but never automatic. It's not a work. It's dependence upon the worker, God. It is not man-centered. It's God-centered. Fourthly, faith is not passivity, but rather active cooperation with God. Again, Philippians 2.13, it is God which worketh in you. There's that divine initiation, both to will. There's that response, that faith response, and to do of his good pleasure. We'll come to that here in a moment. But it lets us know that faith is not a work. It's dependence on the worker, but it is not passivity. It's an active cooperation with God, trusting him to work because he stirred you to trust him to work. In other words, sometimes people in the name of faith sit back and do nothing, waiting for God to levitate them or whatever. Uh, that's passivity. They say they're depending on God, but really they're just sitting back and in their thinking, in their way of thinking, they're just passively uh, thinking God's going to do it all in the sense of having no responsibility. Well, that's not it. Faith is a responsibility. It's just not a work. It's active cooperation with the worker. And that is vital for us to understand. So it's always a response, never automatic. It's not a work. It's dependence on the worker. It's not man-centered. It's God-centered. It's not passivity. It's active cooperation. And finally, faith is not an outside alien element entered into you, but rather a response to the convincing work of the Spirit. This brings us to the debate on whether or not faith is a gift. People come to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and uh, some argue that just grace is the gift. Uh, some argue that faith is also a gift. And if it's a gift, does that mean all of a sudden it's now automatic uh, or inevitable? Uh, what does it mean? Well, as one of the uh, old authors, I think uh, Hanley G.C. Moore puts it this way, Faith is not an outside alien element inserted into you where all of a sudden it's like a chip being put into you and then you're just going to be like a robot uh, or a clone <laughs> uh, that uh, you see in Star Wars. Uh, no, that would be robotic. But the, their faith is it's a response to the convincing work of the spirit. And in that sense, it can be a gift. In other words, let's say you develop uh, an illness and a friend of yours convinces you, keyword, that a particular doctor can help you with your illness. And you get so convinced that you entrust yourself to that particular doctor. In that sense, and in that sense alone, your friend has given you the gift of faith by convincing you this doctor is worthy of your trust. But then, of course, you have to go trust. Okay, so in the same way, the Holy Spirit is the one who convinces us. He is our divine friend who convinces us of the doctor, the great physician himself. And when we entrust ourselves to God, it is because the Spirit has convinced us to, there's that divine initiation. And in that sense alone, the Spirit has given us the gift of faith, but only in that sense. It's not like a chip has been inserted and all of a sudden you're now a robot. No, you have to respond. But in that sense, we could perhaps call it a gift. So in God's economy, there's divine initiation. God stirs you. Trust me. 
Uh, there may be some need in your life. You're just reading your Bible, just in your normal Bible reading. And all of a sudden, a particular phrase comes alive and the spirit of God says, there it is. Trust me on that basis. Okay. That's God initiating or revealing his will to you that if you will trust him, he'll bring this to pass. Then there's the human response, that responsibility that's not a work. It's the faith response. And we've just walked through that. And that brings us to the third part of this or the third phase. And that is divine enabling. When God initiates, there's the human response of faith. And then now God enables accordingly. Uh, well, we can say it this way. When God stirs you and there's a faith response, now God works according to what you're trusting him for. Again, Philippians 2.13, for it is God which worketh in you, divine initiation, both to will, faith response, and to do. There's that divine enablement of his good pleasure. When God reveals his will to you and you trust him, then he reveals his power to bring it to pass. Faith is coming into union with God's will because he stirred you in God's power because now you can have the confidence that he will, by his divine power, bring this matter to pass. Think of the matter of salvation. Think of the clarity of the words in John 12, 36. Jesus said, while ye have light, see there's divine initiation, light. Believe in the light. There's the human faith response that ye may be the children of light. There is the divine enabling where God saves you. That's how salvation works. It's how every step in the Christian life works. God stirs us that we can trust him. We respond in faith and then God enables accordingly. Now, why is this important? Because if we get our grid wrong, if we don't understand God's economy and how his resources operate, that in God's economy, economy of grace, in his economy of spirit enablement, the currency is faith. If we don't get that, we get messed up. As I mentioned to you, when I was in college, I just thought man could believe when he wanted to. So for those of you that understand theological terms, I was a full-blown Arminian and didn't even know it because I thought I could just, you know, or anybody could just believe God when they wanted to, which really isn't true. No man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit, Corinthians tells us. There has to be the convincing work of the Spirit. But then man has to respond. So if you think of God stirring, faith responding, and God working, in the two theological extremes that you sometimes hear of Arminianism and Calvinism, these three phases can help us understand what's going on. In the thoroughgoing Arminian mindset, and not every uh, buddy on this uh, side of the fence would be thoroughgoing, but in the thoroughgoing side of it, the divine initiation is left out. It just starts with man choosing to believe, and then God works, which uh, uh, is wrong. It's a wrong view because man won't believe without the convincing work of the Spirit. That's why he's the convincer. That's why Jesus said he came into the world, and when he's come, he will reprove. That is, he will convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Why? Without that convincement, we'll never trust Jesus. Now, the trusting is not automatic, but we have to be convinced. So in the thoroughgoing Arminian grid of thinking, divine initiation is left out. But in the other extreme, on the thoroughgoing Calvinistic side of things, what happens is the divine working. So God stirring, human response, divine working, divine working is thrown up to the top. 
for example, Martin Luther and uh, those that followed him at the time of Reformation, I'm thrilled that they understood salvation was by grace through faith, but they wrongly thought that faith was a human work. We just talked about that, which it's not. The Bible says it's not. But because they thought faith was a human work, and because they realized salvation was by grace through faith, they falsely concluded, based on that wrong presupposition, that God must just regenerate you in order for you to believe. So they take the divine working, phase three, and plug it into phase one. Because if you're regenerated, then it would be impossible not to believe, would be the, the thinking. And that makes it robotic. That makes it um, automatic. That makes it inevitable. If God just chooses to regenerate some, uh, then man's responsibility is taken out of the equation. If God regenerates you, then it would be impossible not to believe, as it were. And so obviously, uh, that, uh, that leaves out the human responsibility. But when you see the three phases, then you have what I call the third grid of theology. It's not Arminian. It's not Calvinism. It's the third grid. There's probably a better name for that. But God has to stir us. God convinces us. But then faith must respond. You can resist, as they did in Acts 7. You do always resist the Holy Spirit. Or you can respond in faith, as they did in Acts 2. And 3,000 were saved. So God stirs. Faith responds. And then God works. That's the right view. That's the biblical precision of balance. And that's how it works. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because faith is actually responding to God as he convinces us. And then as we trust him, it allows God to be demonstrated as he enables and brings it to pass whether it's salvation to begin with or some aspect of the Christian life. So back to last night's message. If God has stirred you to really get serious in this really serious time in the world that we find ourselves in, if God stirs you to pray for revival, it's because he wants to grant it. <laughs> See, when God stirs, it's God showing us his will. And so we would be negligent if we didn't respond. So let's find out what God wants us to do. Let's respond accordingly. That's faith. In this case, that would be calling on God, seeking him as we saw last night. But that means God wants to bring this reviving to pass. And so uh, that's how it works for the bigger matters like revival. It's how it works for salvation in an individual life. It's how it works in just little aspects in our daily life where God stirs us. Hey, why don't you trust me about this? And you trust him and then God brings it to pass. You know, um, there are times when God just stirs you to trust him about something. If you are of the sort to write that down in a prayer journal and you start seeking God about it, isn't it wonderful? You wrote that down because God stirred you to seek God about it. And then as you seek God and you call on God, and then that matter bring, comes to pass, now you can write that down. You just cashed in. You just came with the no money of faith, which is God's currency, and you access that grace. God convinced you. You trusted him. God brought it to pass. It's all of grace, and yet it's by faith or we miss out. So there's God's economy of grace and the currency is faith. I hope that uh, 
uh, grid of thinking will help us just in the daily aspects of walking with God, as well as some of the bigger things when God stirs us to trust him for even greater matters. All right. 